Imagine not knowing what your income would be each week. Financial planning would be a nightmare. Almost 90% of Vision's income is free will donations. When supporters commit to monthly giving, it provides greater certainty when budgeting for regular expenses and weighing up new opportunities that arise. Knowing we can rely on regular gifts each month takes some of the guesswork out of operating a faith ministry. Monthly givers who share our mission are called Visionary Extra Mile Partners. And right now, you're invited to join this growing group of faithful supporters. The amount of your tax-deductible monthly gift is completely up to you. What is most important is knowing that you are standing with us to reach Australia for the gospel. Click the banner at vision.org.au or in the Vision app to find out more about becoming a Visionary Extra Mile Partner. It only takes a few minutes, but will have an eternal impact. Vision. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. As you know, we always see it as valuable to have insights into what God is doing with His people, the Jewish nation. And for some people who will be saying, God has not taken his hand off the Jewish nation, that the Jewish nation is central to his purposes in all of history. Well, it's good to get insights into what God is doing with the Jewish nation and the Jewish nation beyond the borders of Israel. And today, some insight into what's happening with those Jews who live throughout Europe. Canaan Lifsitz is our guest over these next few minutes. He's served as a counterintelligence analyst for Israel's defense ministry before becoming a reporter for Ma'ariv and later Haaretz. He also writes for the Jewish Telegraphic Agency in Europe, America and Israel. He's visiting Australia to address audiences and talk about the situation for Jews in Europe. Canaan, uh, welcome along to 2020. Thanks for having me. Kanan, what sort of things are you talking to Australian audiences about on this trip? Well, mostly I'm here to explain about how Jews are experiencing a very dramatic period in in Europe. The eruption of a wave of Islamist attacks in 2012 in Toulouse, France, where a jihadist killed four Jews at a school and another three soldiers just on the street unleashed uh, uh, a copycat wave of, of acts perpetrated by lone wolves, perpetrated by terrorist organizations that are better organized, that at first targeted Jews, but now are felt throughout. Of course, when we talk about the challenges that the Jewish people face, uh, the state of Israel, a lot of Christians, of course, uh, talk about those things in light of things that God is doing towards the end of days. When Christians talk about these things and the challenges that Jewish people face, not only in Israel, but as you're going to be discussing throughout Europe, is there a Jewish perspective on what is happening in this time, that God has brought the people back to the nation of Israel and, and what he's doing in the earth today? I think there is a definite recognition that the state of Israel is its establishment, its survival, and, and recently the fact that it is thriving is a miracle. And that realization in the Jewish people is shared by seculars 
and religious people alike. Let's talk about the things that are happening today, because significant things like Donald Trump coming to power as the president of the U.S. and having a friendship towards Israel. Uh, How has that been received, not only for those in Israel, but uh, what for European Jews? How do they see the dramatic events that have been happening in the world and affecting uh, their homeland? It's a very uh, split view. The fact is that many uh, Jews in Europe share the sensibilities of their societies, and it's not it's no secret that in secularist societies like the Netherlands and in Scandinavia, um, Donald Trump is not seen favorably um, because he represents a different set of values. However, from the Jewish perspective, the fact that Donald Trump's credentials with regard to his friendship to Israel uh, is so is so undisputed is producing more sympathy toward Donald Trump, and uh, especially since we were seeing the results on the ground. Listen, just uh, two weeks ago, the World Health Organization gathered in uh, Geneva to have have a vote, and uh, that vote, that annual assembly, usually features a clause, a permanent clause on Israel. And that clause usually speaks about Israel's perceived sins vis-a-vis the Palestinians. And Britain usually votes in favor of that resolution. This year, for the first time, it did not only it didn't abstain; voted against the vote. And that is something that many observers attribute to the fact that Donald Trump is in power, and Donald Trump cares about Jews and Israel. And uh, Theresa May uh, decided to align herself with that view. So we're seeing the results on the ground, and is producing some sympathy toward Trump. There's been quite a lot of change, hasn't there, uh, from many, many years ago where Israel was the darling and people looked at Israel in such a kind light. But there had been a time of recent days uh, when that had changed, uh, even to the point where uh, a rising anti-Semitism in Europe and, uh, and even the idea of a boycott against Israel and isolating Israel. You monitor these things. How do you see the progression? Beginning with the 90s, we've seen the arrival of of a phenomenon the scholars call new anti-Semitism. And that new anti-Semitism uses Israel as a pretext for old anti-Semitism, the hatred of Jews. So uh, rhetoric that used to be in Europe, at least after the Second World War, uh, unacceptable, became acceptable once more if one substituted Zionists for Jews, Israelis, for Jews. Um, that said, in recent years, we've seen the pendulum swing the other way. Uh, it is true that 50 years ago, in 1967, huge sums of money were collected. Let's take, for example, the Netherlands, where I live, in Holland. Uh, there were blood drives. There were prayers in church groups. There was even a sticker, I Stand Behind Israel, that became almost ubiquitous throughout the country as Israel was faced with the existential threat of the Six-Day War. And that has changed. Now, the department store called Bayankorf, which means beehive, uh, that that raised millions for Israel in those years, now there is a stand of the BDS movement promoting a boycott against Israel right in front of it. The winds have changed, but at the same time, there has been a huge change also in the eastern part of the continent. Listen... 
Uh, Neil, uh, 50 years ago, you could get arrested in the metro of Moscow just for saying the word Israel, whereas last year, Benjamin Netanyahu visited Moscow five times, and one of them he was received with a red carpet, and his wife, Sarah, got uh, uh, pink roses handed to her. So uh, Israel is very popular also throughout the eastern uh, part of the European Union that applied also there. Israel was a pariah in the 1960s there. Now, in parallel to what is happening in the West, where it turned from, when Israel turned from divisive to, from, dar- from darling to divisive, there is also a pushback. And that pushback is visible, for example, in the fact that France in 2003 passed laws that make it illegal to promote a boycott of any state, but the thought behind it was Israel, because it's a form of discrimination. The judiciary in Spain, which used to be a leader in the effort to boycott and isolate Israel, the judiciary starting two years ago began to crack down on attempts to uh, boycott Israel, and even a high court, a high tribunal last year ruled that it's discriminatory and illegal. So I think in tandem with the election of uh, Trump, uh, it's part of the same movement that is causing Europe uh, almost unbelievably to um, question its previous position. That is not to say that hatred of Israel is diminishing uh, on the street level, but governments are closing in and, and moving in against this form of, um, of ancient hatred in a new mantle. We'll continue our conversation in just a few moments. Kanan Lifshitz, our guest, served as a counterintelligence analyst for Israel's Defence Ministry before becoming a reporter for Maariv and later Haaretz. He writes now for Jewish Telegraphic Agency in Europe, America and Israel. We're getting some insights today on the situation in Europe and attitudes towards the nation of Israel. We're back with more in just a short while. We're getting some insights today on the way that people in Europe are thinking about God's people in Israel. Uh, Special guests talking through some of these issues, uh, letting us in on some insights. Kanan Lifshitz, who is someone who's served in counterintelligence and also as a journalist, these days writes for the Jewish Telegraphic Agency in Europe, America and Israel. Uh, Kanan, in our first segment just a short while ago, you mentioned uh, what is known as a new anti-Semitism. How is that working on the ground? What's it like for ordinary Jewish people throughout a number of those European countries? Uh, what is life like and, and how is that new anti-Semitism rising? So new anti-Semitism is um, uh, the name that has been given by scholars to a phenomenon where old hatred of Jews is uh, presented or masqueraded as uh, hatred of Israel, the substitution of the word Jews by the word Zionists, or Zios, as um, the term recently emerged in the UK. Now, in parallel to that, there's also been a substitution of the perpetrators of anti-Semitic crimes. It used to be the far right with which we're familiar with, but in recent years, the um, Muslim extremists have taken uh, taken the torch, so to speak, over. Uh, one case in particular that is now making a lot of headlines in France is the killing of Sarah Halimi. This is a 66-year-old uh, Jewish lady who 
lived in an impoverished quarter of uh, Paris, the 11th district. And on April 4th, one of her neighbors, a 27-year-old man, uh, burglared into her apartment, tortured her for about an hour, and threw her out the window to her death, where she died in an interior court, interior yard of the building. And a recording of that struggle made by one of the neighbors showed that the man shouted, Allahu Akbar, Arabic for Allah is the greatest, and then prayed after killing Sarah Ali. Despite these evidence, um, he was placed in psychiatric evaluation, and it took two weeks for an indictment to be filed. The indictment, the draft indictment, says that what he committed was voluntary manslaughter, and it does not mention the aggravated element of a hate crime, of anti-Semitic crime. And now the French Jewish community is fighting for justice for Sarah Alimi, claiming that both media and the authorities are sweeping this murder under the carpet. Now, this killing happened at the height of the presidential campaign in France. Emmanuel Macron, a centrist, was uh, competing for votes against uh, Marine Le Pen, the leader of the National Front Party, who has an anti-Muslim agenda. And it was feared by the establishment, uh, so go, uh, so alleged the critics, that the murder of Sarah Alimi by a Muslim radical will be used as campaign fodder by Marine Le Pen. So there was perhaps an attempt to silence this affair. And this, I think, this case, uh, Neil, illustrates the difficulty that European societies have. There is a desire to crack down on racist crimes, but this is very difficult at times, very politically sensitive. It's uh, an incredible thing to think uh, that some races may be reported differently when there is a crime committed against them, but that's what you're describing, is the way that a crime can be committed against a Jewish person and may not get the same sort of attention as it might if it were against another nationality. And that's a part of what's happening in so far as the rise of Islam. Uh, that obviously causes Jewish people throughout all of Europe to be a little bit more on edge too. Is that the case, Canaan? Absolutely. The threat of um, jihadist violence is making people feel on edge, but the lack of treatment, the, the lack of pushback by authorities and the media is making them feel isolated. And that feeling of isolation, of helplessness, is driving growing numbers of them to leave for Israel. Over the past three years, 25,000 French Jews have left France. Now, that may not seem so much out of a population of half a million French Jews, but you have to consider that these people, they come from the nucleus of the Jewish community. They are the ones that feel most a threat because they are the ones that go to shop in kosher shops, like the one that was attacked in January 2015. Um, and they are the ones that send their children to Jewish schools, like the one that was attacked in 2012. They are the most affiliated, the most connected to synagogues and Jewish institutions. And when they leave, they are the axis around which the whole community is built. And there is a fear that their departure may spell either an end or a radical change to the nature 
of Jewish life in Europe. Canaan, what is it that affects the mood most? Is it the conflict between Israel and the Palestinians that the whole world seems to be focused on? If that's going positively one way, it can have its effects, it has its consequences. Uh, what's, the, what's the major effect that causes the barometer to go, to go up and down as to whether uh, it's safe for Jews or whether it's not safe? What is it in your opinion? Well, Neil, there is definitely a correlation between events in the Middle East, uh, and uh, actually I should say in Israel and its neighbors, because there are a lot of events in the Middle East that have nothing to do with Israel these days. Um, There is a definite correlation between these events and the safety of Jews in Europe. Uh, In fact, in the year 2000, that was the year of the Second Intifada, in, in Israel, the second uprising of Palestinians against Israel, uh, anti-Semitic incidents in France, which has the largest Jewish community in Europe, went from totaling a few dozen in the 1990s and 80s to hundreds, and sometimes even nearly a thousand uh, in the years that followed. At the same time, to describe this as merely uh, an, an expression of, of anger against Israel would be inaccurate because there's a lot of uh, other factors, local factors, that go into this. There is hatred of police. At anti-police demonstrations, it's not uncommon in Europe to hear the crowd, Muslim crowds, chant uh, against Jews as well. There is a, a identification of Jews as being part of the establishment, although they are not. They are merely another minority. And, uh, and that is merging in the hostile attitudes of Muslims who feel disenfranchised. Canaan, you're currently based in Amsterdam. Uh, There is a headquarters for Christians for Israel in the nation of Holland. Uh, You've got a close connection there, even though you are not a Christian uh, personally. You're you're Jewish, uh, but you have a close connection to Christians for Israel. Uh, How do you, as a Jew, uh, see the work that Christians are doing in support of uh, so many Israeli causes? Indeed, the headquarters of the Christians for Israel movement, which has branches in uh, over 20 countries worldwide and uh, a few good hundreds of thousands, perhaps even more, followers worldwide. Uh, the headquarters is situated in Nijkerk, which is a small suburb of, uh, of Amsterdam. It's a whole building. It was founded in the 1970s but by Christian Protestant lovers of Israel. And right now, I can say that they are the muscle behind any activity in favor of Israel going on in the Netherlands and in some of the neighboring countries as well. And by that, I mean when the Jewish community convenes people for a pro-Israel rally, well, the Netherlands has 40,000 Jews, and many of them are not affiliated, so typically a few dozen of them will appear. And then hundreds, sometimes thousands of Christians from the Christians for Israel group and other groups show up filling squares and really making making a bang, making the voice audible in front of parliament, in front of city hall, when it's necessary. Uh, for example, a member of the uh, city council of The Hague recently called a supporter of Israel 
made some misogynistic and hateful messages to her, a demonstration was organized promptly. That is also that also goes into um, in a democracy, as you know, this is really irreplaceable in in terms of establishing monitoring and establishing action, prompting action on the part of authorities. Well, Kanan, it's been a privilege getting your insights today. You were brought to Australia by the Queensland Jewish Board of Deputies, and uh, you've got an association with Christians for Israel. You're addressing a number of groups around Australia while you're here, uh, and I'll point people to a connection with the uh, the Jewish Board of Deputies uh, to get those details about where you might be speaking. But Kanan Lifshitz, uh, who served in counterintelligence and is a journalist, and I'll point people to the Jewish Telegraphic Agency, uh, JTA, uh, where they can read some of the articles that you've been writing. But Kanan, thank you so much for taking some time to uh, share your insights with us today on 2020. Neil, thanks so much for having me and for your interest, because at these dramatic times, that is exactly what makes the difference between isolation and feeling embraced and empowered. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.